electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hey everyone, welcome to another CNBC Tech Check live stream. I think we're calling it Live Stream Plus. Chris Best, welcome, CEO and co-founder of Substack. How are you this morning? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Where are you coming to us from? Uh, from our office in San Francisco. Okay, so we're not too far away then, because I'm coming to you from uh, One Market. It's great to have oh, you. Nice. Um, big news that you guys announced this week, and that is a new Substack app. Uh, maybe first talk about sort of the early reception downloads, any feedback that you're getting? Yeah, the reception has been quite strong so far. Uh, you know, you may know Substack as the platform where some of the most interesting writers in the world publish their newsletters, host their membership communities, publish their podcasts and more. Uh, but until today, when you go to read a Substack, the only place to read it would be on the web or in your email. And now with the app, the launch of the iPhone app, readers get this dedicated, delightful place to spend the time with the writers they, they value. And so far, readers are loving it. It's got, I think, five stars as of right now in the, in the app store, and we're getting a lot of kind of positive, positive feedback about the experience. You know, when I think about all the newsletters that I get in my email and how miserable it is to read it <laughs> within that email format, the only thing that surprises me is that this wasn't done earlier and that it wasn't done by, say, a Google with Gmail that is, you know, seeing constantly tons of newsletters roll in. Why do you think you guys had the opportunity um, to do this? You know, I got to push back on that a little bit. I don't think that reading in the email is necessarily miserable. I mean, some people really like it and really appreciate it. I, we get lots of feedback from folks that that think that email is, is their favorite place to read, read newsletters because you don't have to go anywhere. It's just right there. Uh, but there right. are certainly people, and I count myself in this camp as well, that once you get to a certain amount, you kind of want a dedicated experience that's not got a promotions tab and you're not like fighting with discount deals that are showing up to try to read the things that you really deeply care about. And I think that Substack gets the opportunity to do this because we are the platform that is out to serve writers and to try to create a real sustainable business model for great writing on the internet, where stuff that's good and thoughtful and the kind of thing that you fall in love with enough that you'd be excited to see it in your email inbox or to like go back to your app to read every week uh, is there because some of the best writers are here. Right. And I will say the Gmail experience of reading a newsletter is better than the Outlook one, at least. Um, Chris, you've always sort of resisted the advertising model. Is that something that you're committed to even with the launch of this app and what kind of opportunities that could potentially bring the business side of things? We are really heavily focused on subscriptions because we think that sort of the magic of Substack is the incentives that get created by the ongoing subscription relationship, which, you know, the, I give you my email and you can email me relationship is like the first step towards, because mm -hmm. what it means is that as a writer, my goal is to earn and keep the trust of a community of people who deeply value what I'm doing. And that's not just a different way to make money doing the same thing. It's kind of the work you do, what becomes possible when that's your business model is different and better than what would be possible in kind of like the wide algorithmic world of ads. And so we're pretty focused on things that, that double down on that 
that direct relationship. And subscriptions feels like the, the, the first and most important part of that. Yeah, fair. So within this app, readers, it's, it's only on Apple for now, but I know you guys have a wait list for Android. Um, readers can subscribe, but they can't actually upgrade to a paid subscription. And is that to avoid Apple's 30% app store commission fee? We're still working on the best way to make the Substack model work uh, with and you know being careful to follow the apps the app store rules on this stuff. Uh, so right now the way that works is you can you can sign up and you can put your email down in the app, um, but there's not a way to pay with directly in the app yet. Um, but we think that there's ways that we can definitely improve the experience there. Do you want to? It, it sort of is that commission fee the issue there? And then I wonder if that you know makes it a less seamless experience, creates a little bit more friction and also sort of on your writer side, if that sort of hurts their ability to gain more subscribers. This is definitely something we're working on and thinking about. We have a, a we think a pretty close and good relationship with Apple. Part of it's that there's a fee thing and there's also just a what the API allows thing. Um, the, one of the interesting things about Substack is that you subscribe directly to a writer. So there's tens of thousands of different writers that you could subscribe to on Substack. Uh, and that doesn't actually mesh perfectly with uh, the IAP APIs that Apple provides today, even if, even if we wanted to do just that. So what's interesting about this move, um, Chris, as well, is that there's sort of more of a discovery mode here and that, you know, many would argue pushes Substack towards more of a publisher role. Is that something that you're comfortable with, something that you're ready for? I don't think that it makes us a publisher, but I do think that doing more and better discovery is one of the is actually one of the best reasons to do this kind of thing. Uh, you know, our goal at Substack is to help people find and fall in love with writers that they care <laughs> care about enough they might want to pay for. And we actually think the most powerful way to find new things to read and to listen to and to watch is through the people you already trust. So if you're subscribed to a writer that you follow and they recommend things or their community is caring about and talking about things that you might want to see, we actually think that's the best way to discover new and exciting things, not some sort of centralized publisher telling you like, hey, here are the things you need to pay attention to. But can you understand why some see that as more of a publisher move? I mean, you, Substack or its algorithm is still having a page now, which is going to recommend, I'm not sure how you do that based on, you said, other writers that you follow, but you're going to have a page that suggests other ones. How is that different than what a publisher does in terms so, of selection? So when you first get the Substack app, there is the one place you can go, there's sort of a leaderboard that is yeah. ranked by, you know, category ranked by, it's sort of like a bestsellers list kind of thing. So if you're starting from scratch, there's a place you can go to kind of get a sense of you know, like the index fund of culture, like what's on what's on Substack here. But the way that most people discover is by searching and by uh, looking at what other people, especially the authors they trust, are reading. Uh, and that's actually fairly different. And when you come to Substack, you're not seeing a feed of posts, a feed of things that we Substack are recommending you see. We're sort of like, hey, look, here are the best, you know, the, the, the best selling, the top, things that you might right. want to check out. And then once you've got these trusted relationships, the things that you're actually reading come from the people on the platform who you've chosen to trust and spend time with. Okay, so that to me sounds potentially like a bit of a Facebook problem when you're promoting the most popular. I know you guys don't decide that, just like Facebook doesn't decide what's going to be the most viral, but you can get things uh, with misinformation that some might consider or 
disinformation or hate speech rise to the top, how do you confront that? I know that you have sort of a hands-off approach, but now with this sort of recommendation or discovery feature, you're getting deeper into that field. Yeah, I mean, we've had the, we've had the leaderboards, uh, the, the, the top categories for, for a while now. One thing that I think matters quite a bit is that they're, you know, ranking by revenue is not just kind of like a, you know, a self-interested move. Part of what it is, is the things that people decide to pay for, um, that invest their time with are different than the things that they might just click on or, or hit like an angry reshare on. Something we like to joke about is that people will hate read stuff, but they won't necessarily hate pay for it. And it's not a perfect solution. You know, if we put, if we, the way I think of this at Substack is we're helping readers choose as their best selves, who they want to subscribe to, who they want to spend their, their time with, right? We're not asking them to do that by, you know, showing them something for one last scroll with this clever algorithm that knows exactly your weakest moment right. right before you fall asleep. Instead, we're sitting back and saying, hey, on a Sunday, how do you want to be spending your life? What do you want to be putting into your mind? We help you make that choice as your best self. And if sometimes people make the choice that we wouldn't make, we're actually okay with that. We think if you're, you know, if you can choose by your own best lights and Substack has helped yeah. you do that, we've made the world better. And we don't want to be the arbiters of what's true or what's right or what's interesting even. We think people can decide that for themselves if you give them the tools to do so well. That is a really interesting distinction is that the business model, you're right, is fundamentally different. You may hate read something, but you're not, you're less likely to hate pay for something. Um, sometimes happen. It is. The, yeah. the writer sometimes doesn't mind. I hear, yeah, I'm sure the writer doesn't mind, um, but yeah, different incentives there, which I think is a really good point. Chris, at the same time though, you do have certain writers on your platform and very popular ones that don't necessarily agree with this philosophy. You've had some of them leave even recently because you guys don't wanna take a more um, forthright approach to moderation. So how do you square that away with some of them? We've been pretty public about this. I mean, we think that a commitment to freedom of the press is sort of a necessary ingredient to making the thing that we hope to make at Substack, right? If we're here to put writers and readers in charge, that's actually not compatible with us taking a heavy hand and deciding what people should be subscribing to, what emails you're allowed to get. Um, we recognize that that's not itself like a neutral position. That is kind of a principled position that we hold. And if people disagree with it and criticize us and you know choose not to be on Substack, which is their right, we make it pretty easy to leave for better or worse. People can bring their emails, they can bring their payments. We respect that. You know, we have to to hew to our principles and, and when other people hew to theirs, we we can't complain about that. Is there anything that would make you reconsider your hands-off approach to content moderation? There's definitely, you know, we do have a content policy. It's not that you can do literally anything. Yeah. And this is stuff, you know, we we watch this stuff closely, but I, I do think that a, an abiding commitment to freedom of the press is a really important and I would argue under undervalued thing in the current landscape. I worry much more about the other side. I worry about the, the dangers of conformity and of people being able to police the bounds of what's acceptable to do and say, because even if you get the best possible cause in the world, uh, once you start to have kind of like a, a, a groupthink develop where people who, who dissent aren't allowed to speak, those, those things can go off the rails so badly hmm. and so dangerous. Do you think that I think people who advocate for, for stronger moderation, 
forget the other the other right. side of this, the reason that the, this, these principles are so important in the first place. Do you think um, you know we're in danger of going there? Do we, we had a guest on this morning actually who said fake news on our program talking about you know sort of the dot com bubble and killing all tech. Do you think that the mainstream media you know is is losing its way and that's why Substack is is needed and that's why some writers are coming over to you? I think it's it's sort of always a danger. I think it's I don't think it's a mainstream media thing necessarily. I think it's part of human nature. There's this there's this instinct to rally together to you know form a shared reality, um, especially in times of crisis, especially if there's a war or there's things happening in the world. There's this natural human tendency to kind of like rally around, and that's not bad by itself. But when it creates a climate where criticism is impossible, where dissent is impossible, where people who are seen as, you know, outside the, the accepted narrative uh, becomes impossible, mm -hmm. that dynamic can go very badly. And we've seen it go badly again and again in history. So Chris, I know that you don't see Substack as, dis as replacing or displacing traditional media. You said that newsrooms may be competing with us, but we don't think of ourselves as competing with them. Um, can you have a writer on your platform that's writing, say, for the New York Times as well? Is that appropriate on your policy side? Oh, yeah, 100%. Anyone yeah. can start a Substack uh, very easily. Yeah. It's, it's Do you quite think the other way around, and I think that you know traditional media is less willing to have their journalists write a Substack as well as be paid um, or be on their payroll, do you think that that's going to be a problem going forward for journalists and you know, it feeds into this whole debate that sort of played out over Twitter last weekend between Washington Post columnist Taylor Lawrence and New York Times journalist Maggie Haberman. Um, this idea that journalists should or shouldn't have a brand. I definitely think that one of the things that Substack can do is help apply pressure, uh, sort of competitive pressure to all of the other options that writers have. Right. One of the things you get that's good about Substack is that you can go independent, you can own your audience, you can have a brand or not have a brand or think about it however you want. And we've actually already seen, you know, other like traditional places having to kind of react to this, like yeah. feeling a little bit of pressure of like, hey, we, we have to, you know, might have to pay writers more or give them more freedom or mm -hmm. let them have like a newsletter where they can say the things they want to say. And to the extent that, you know, either people have a new option to come to Substack and do something that they believe in that's different than what they could do at their old place, or even if it just applies a bit of pressure and yeah. places have to kind of like give more freedom or more money or more whatever they want to writers, we see all of that as, as a good thing and as a win. I don't think it's like, I don't think there's a clear answer of like, should a writer be a brand or should they not? I do think that like, it should be something that's an option for them. If you want to, to carve out your own place to go independent, uh, I think a, a totally valid and sensible thing to want. And the people that want to scold folks for, for being cringy or whatever, I think that's misplaced. I don't think that's reasonable or, or fair. And do you think then um, that traditional media sort of risks losing more of their writers, more of their sort of star writers too, what are you hearing from some of those that do come over to Substack? Is there a frustration with traditional or legacy media not sort of letting them have a newsletter to express their own thoughts and feelings? I think if great writers have more options, that's that's kind of good, 
it's yeah. good regardless. It's good if they come to Substack and they're able to do something that they weren't able to do at their old place. That certainly happens. There are certainly people that come to Substack and are able to do work they believe in that they struggled to do wherever they came from. And it's great if if it if if this stuff prompts, you know, publications to give more leeway to to their to their stars and to great writers. I think that great writing is valuable, mm-hmm. which shapes who you are, it shapes how you think. It it has this tremendous impact on making the culture and giving writers the power and the freedom and the control over their brand or whatever it takes to kind of unlock that is just good. Yeah, fair. It's a nuance to answer, which I appreciate. Um, Chris, last question for you. Um, on TV. I, what's that? I apologize for being nuanced on TV. I know that's not allowed. <laughs> no, this is a live stream, Chris. That's why we did this in this format. As you can tell, we've been talking for more than 15 minutes now, which is nice. And guess what? We've gone over our time limit, which I often do on these because we get into sometimes more interesting, more nuanced discussions that you can't necessarily have in a six minute TV interview. Um, and on that note, you know, we're gonna have to wrap up, but I do want to ask you one last question. I know that the app is the latest, but you guys have also been moving into podcast formats, into video. What does Substack look like five, 10 years from now? I definitely think that a lot of things can benefit from the Substack model, this model of direct relationship between the writer and the reader, the creator and their audience. You know, podcasts definitely fit really well into this. I think video fits well into this. I think there's actually maybe a lot of formats of of media and culture that fit into this kind of like direct, uh, direct model. And I think Substack can kind of help power a transition uh, to this new and more interesting world for for culture. Yeah, well, uh, I'm excited to see how it evolves and I hope you'll come back, continue to talk to us. And yeah, no, thank you for doing this format too, Chris. I feel like we got into a lot of the issues. Um, Good luck, keep us posted on how it goes. We'll talk to you again soon. Great, thank you. Thanks to everyone that tuned in also. Have a great weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.